Well, hello friends and welcome to the podcast. This is episode 31 and it's Christmas time. That's right, we're entering or have well entered into the season of Advent as we rush our way through to get to Christmas Day to proclaim the birth of the Christ child. We're taking a moment or two to consider what the season is all about to see if we can uh, brush aside some of the uh, commercialism and sentimentalism that is often associated with this time of year. Not that we don't all love a little bit of uh, sentimental uh, Christmas, not that we don't all love uh, the presents and that, that we uh, both have the opportunity to give and to receive. But um, Christmas is that time where we are thinking of the incarnation, the coming of the Christ child. And does this message have any impact on our lives? Is there anything of real value and worth that we need to stop and consider here in 2019? What has the message of Christmas got to say to you and me? That's where we're at today. We're giving the topic or we're giving this session, this podcast, the title Christmas Genealogies, Flaws and the Beauty of Inclusion. Think about the Christmas story, the nativity. We all see it in one way or another, whether that's um, going to see our children perform their plays at school, whether it's our um, annual or maybe even more often visit to the local church, whether it's sitting down and um, catching something on the TV, listening to something on the radio. We all have a measure of understanding about the nativity, the Christmas story and what it proclaims and what it says to one and all. And that's where we're at today. That's where we need to stay. That's where we're going to focus a few thoughts for a little while to see whether we can, in our hearts, draw any hope, any real substance, um, any spiritual um, guidance out of this ancient, wonderful and biblical story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot going off in the story. We've got to say that to start with, and um, I think it's important that we do. I think it's important that we recognise something of its context. The fact that um, certainly from a biblical perspective, this is um, this is an incident that's foretold. It, it finds its it finds its its initial statement in prophecy, um, and these prophecies given by some of the ancient. Uh, prophets of the Old Testament spoken hundreds of years, 600, 650 years before um, Christ was born. So we, we've got a story that's that, that's birthed in prophecy, and um, it's good to think about that. It's good to remember that, that uh, this isn't something that happened without any context or foretelling at all. Um, I think it's also good and important to mention that we're talking about something that was birthed in history. So this is not a fable. It's not something that uh, is cleverly designed or invented. The The Christmas story has, has much more substance attached to it than that. And again, this is important that we think about this. So we can enter into this story through prophecy. We can enter into it through history. We can also enter the story through the characters that are portrayed within it, whether that's Mary and she pondered these things in her heart. As the passage tells us, she reflects on what the angel has said to her and how she has been chosen to carry the Christ child. We can reflect on the life of Joseph. Few words spoken of him and about him, yet nevertheless we recognise that 
Joseph is the father, the the the, the one who who brings up <clears throat> baby Jesus, and he has a role to play of substance and importance. You've got the wise men who come to visit Jesus, and the sages of the day, the philosophers of the hour, and um, they come to to find the Christ child. Uh, the, these are these are clever people. These are astrologers. These are people who are who are reading the signs in the sky in order to foretell the meaning of the age, and they find their way to baby Jesus. And of course, we've got the shepherds, those collection or that collection of of men who are tending over the sheep and the fields of Jerusalem. And the angel comes and speaks to them and they are drawn to Bethlehem's stable where they come to visit the Christ child. Interestingly, these shepherds acknowledge that the time to be some of those who are amongst the, the lowest of the social class, probably people that you wouldn't be inviting to come along to an event of historic or even uh, global significance. And yet the story wants to tell us, and the writers of the story want us to know that all these people find their way into it, uh, that there is a message that includes them. It's a part of them, and they can be a part of the ongoing story and ongoing telling of the story of Christ. And we should stop and pause there and think about how that has implications for us today. And yet when you come to the story, particularly in Matthew's gospel, you, you don't start with the story itself. You start with the genealogy. This is the, the tracing of the lineage of the person and the birth of Christ, how he has come to be in terms of his, his historical and, and natural line. And the genealogy is important, it's, it's interesting, but truthfully it's also easy to overlook whilst we rush to get to the meat of what the nativity story is all about and what it's telling us. But it's worth us stopping and, and asking, why is that genealogy there? Um, what is the writer Matthew trying to say? What is it that he's portraying to us that is important really for us to, to grasp and to, to think upon? I mean, genealogies, you know, they in themselves, they're powerful, aren't they? There's a lot of talk about, you know, tracing your family line and uh, tracing your lineage these days. People find a great sense of, um, I think, a great sense of connection, a great sense of, of identity in, in knowing something of their historical uh, genealogy. Um, the well-known... Um, documentary that comes on the TV with Davina McCall and Nikki Campbell, that long lost families. Um, if you've ever seen it, you've probably um, had a few um, tears rolling down your cheeks by the end of the program as it uh, portrays and digs into people's pasts and then goes to quite some extraordinary length in order to connect people with long lost relatives. We find identity in, in where we've come from. And as people, as human beings, this really matters to us. It's important. It makes a, a great deal of difference. It can have positive impacts in our lives in all sorts of ways. And, of course, can have negative impacts as well. I guess we all long for a sense of connection. 
a, a sense of of belonging and so um, many people go in that search of connecting things together of tracing what that family tree was really all about I remember a couple of years back tracing something of my own um, grandfather's uh, lineage and history and and life as he um, was a soldier in in World War One, and, and and how that brought a, a new level of illumination and insight into us as a family and so these things are important and they do matter and sometimes we can be surprised what we find and and the genealogy the lineage of Jesus is is no exception to that in fact the genealogy of of Jesus is is really interesting and it's interesting for who it includes um, and the type of people that are actually a part of that that genealogy. I've got a, a passage here that um, I'm just going to reference out of a book by Timothy Keller called Hidden Christmas, which takes us back into the genealogy of Christ and paints a, a very interesting picture, actually, particularly when we're thinking of genealogy flaws and the beauty of inclusion. He says, this genealogy is shockingly unlike other ancient genealogies. He starts that position for this reason, that, uh, that many of the ancient writers would have painted a genealogy to give a favourable um, uh, perspective of the person that they were ultimately referencing. That's not the case with Matthew. He gives us genealogy, warts and all, as you might say. To begin with, there are five women listed in the genealogy, all mothers of Jesus. This will not strike modern readers as unusual, but in ancient patriarchal societies, a woman was virtually never named in such lists, let alone five of them. You could call women gender outsiders in those cultures, yet, they are that, yet there they are in Jesus' genealogy. Almost most, also most of the women in Jesus' resume were Gentiles, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. They were Canaanites and Moabites. To the ancient Jews, these nations were unclean. They weren't allowed into the tabernacle or temple to worship. We could call them racial outsiders, and yet they are in Jesus' genealogy. Interesting, it's as if intentionally... Matthew is portraying a story to us of the intention of God in the birth of Christ to reach out and embrace those who would otherwise have been excluded. Let's read on. There's another surprising dimension to it. By naming these particular women, Matthew deliberately recalls for readers some of the most sorry, nasty and immoral incidents in the Bible. For example, he says that Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now recall what happened. Tamar tricked her father-in-law Judah into sleeping with her. This was an act of incest. Everywhere in the Bible, it's against the law of God. Even though Jesus was descended from Perez and not Zerah, Matthew includes both of them, both Judah and Tamar, to make sure we bring the whole story to mind. It was out of that dysfunctional family that the Messiah came. Think about this. The Christmas story is a message of inclusion, a story of beauty and wonder and mystery that has a universal embrace for the whole of humanity, regardless of background, 
regardless of upbringing, regardless of social class, Matthew wants to tell us something different. That this story, this story of redemption and salvation has the whole of humanity at the heart of it. Keller goes on, Remember too who Rahab was. She was not just a Canaanite but also a prostitute. Perhaps the most interesting character and background story in the whole genealogy. However, there is another story, a really deep and important story. And this is the story of King David and Jesus' line that takes us back to King David. Matthew wants to tell us about this story, that David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, if you knew nothing about biblical history, you'd find that strange. Why not just give her a name? Her name was Bathsheba, but Matthew is summoning us to, a, to recall a tragic and terrible chapter in, is, in Israel's history. When David was a fugitive running for his life for, for, from King Saul, a group of men went out into the wilderness with him, came around him and put their lives on the line to protect him. They were called his mighty men. They risked everything for David and Uriah was one of them, a friend to whom he owed his life. And yet years later, after David became king, he looked upon Uriah's wife Bathsheba and he wanted her and he got her and he slept with her. Then he arranged to have Uriah killed in order to marry her. He did and one of their children was Solomon from whom Jesus is descended. Do you know why Matthew leaves off the name Bathsheba? It's not a slight on Bathsheba, it's a slam on David. It was out of that dysfunctional family and out of that deeply flawed man that the Messiah came. So here we have it. We've got moral outsiders, adulterers, adulteresses, incestuous relationships, prostitutes. We've got all of this going on, all of this stuff taking place. Indeed, we're reminded that even the prominent male ancestors, Judah and David, were in and of themselves moral failures. You've got cultural outsiders, racial outsiders, gender outsiders. The law of Moses excluded all of these people from God's presence. And yet they're all publicly acknowledged as the ancestors of Christ. Quite an amazing thing when you look at the story from the perspective of inclusion. You see, many people may have chosen to write that out of the genealogy, but Matthew chooses to write it in. Inspired as he is by the Spirit, he wants the readers to know, he wants us to know, that this message, this Christmas message that comes to us is a message of embrace for us all, that God loves and cares for each of us, regardless of our flaws, our failures, regardless of the amount of times that we slip up and fall down, no matter how we might feel in and of ourselves, the message of Christmas is one that comes with the embracing love of God. This is how the birth of Jesus came about, Matthew says, as he goes on then to tell us the actual story. But before the story happens, the genealogy is already revealed. And that genealogy reminds us and tells us 
that God includes everybody in the story, that nobody is excluded, that nobody is pushed to the outside, but that actually Christ comes for one and for all. And I think this is why the message of Christmas is a message of hope. It's a message of hope because we don't qualify ourselves on the basis of our lifestyle or, or our good behaviour. We, we don't qualify ourselves based on our social status or class. We don't qualify ourselves on the basis of how much we do or don't have in our bank accounts, how many degrees we don't or don't own to our name, the type of education that we have or haven't received. The inclusive nature of God's love is birthed in the fact that Christ came and he came for us all. And that should bring a message of hope to, well, to each one of us, really. We all have a story of how we've got here, how we've got to where we are, and sometimes that story can cause us to feel left out. Maybe we stand in a group of people and we feel our education is inferior to other people. Perhaps we're chatting to others and they're speaking about things that they have and we feel that we don't have those things and we feel inferior as a result of it. Maybe people talk about their families or their spouses or their children and we've not had or don't have those things. And as a result we feel, I don't know, maybe pushed to the edge. A feeling of being on the, the outside or on the periphery. We, we all have a story to tell. But what the Christmas story tells us is that God comes for us all, that he reaches out his arms to embrace the whole of humanity. You see, the Jesus' story is displayed flaws and all. It's all there for us to see, to read, to understand. And in seeing it and reading it and understanding, we're beginning to grasp and grapple with the fact that at the heart of this is a loving God who cares for you and for me. Think of those who came to the stable, men from a foreign land, shepherds from a low social class, the teenager Mary who's chosen to carry the Christ child, people who perhaps in ordinary life wouldn't get a second glance. They're the very ones that God comes to, invites, includes, embraces. And you and me, wherever we are, whatever our situation, whatever our standing, whether maybe we've had a great year and life has been good and family's been great and business has been excellent and we're rejoicing in that. Well, let's rejoice in it. Or maybe we've had a tough year, a year of loss and, and grief. We've felt despair, isolated, lonely, abandoned. Christ has come. He's come for us all. He comes to embrace us all with his love. You see, the Christmas story, it didn't take place in the inner group or in the inner crowd. The Christmas story works on the fringes of society. It works on the edges where those who feel that they've made it never need to go and never find themselves. But for those who do feel that sense of isolation 
or loneliness or loss, then let us know this, that that's exactly where the Christ child comes to. And he comes to you and he comes to me. So that in the simple message of the mystery of Christmas, our hearts might again be stirred by the love of God. Michael Card, I think, captures it well when he says, a great Christian songwriter, life and truth, those ultimate expressions of reality we all claim to seek, are no longer to be found in books or in a succession of new experiences. Life has been gift-wrapped in a person. Truth has taken on human flesh. In order to experience it, we must lay hold of him. God took his place among us as one of us. That is what the incarnation means. With the incarnation, everything became new, and now, and now so can we. Only now we must look to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the final word of the loving Father to the entire human family. Well, my friends, at this Christmas time, as we rush our way through the hustle and bustle of preparation as we head towards Christmas Day, as we do all of that, may our hearts and our souls take a moment to pause. And in the silence of that pause, may we ponder the mystery of the incarnation, whereby God takes on human flesh, born of the genealogy and lineage of flawed and imperfect human beings, in order that he might step into your world and mine to show and demonstrate his great love for the whole of humanity, including you and including me. And so may Christmas time be a time of mystery, may it be a time of embrace, may it be a time of love, and may you find the reality of the Christ child bringing hope and peace into your hearts at Christmas. God bless you, and until we do our next podcast, may grace and peace be with you.